0: And help out with worship as well. And if you didn't know by now already that I worked with youth, I don't know if the jeans with sandals gave it away. That's the, that's the look here. Unfortunately, I said like my week has been mediocre at best. I, I had this awesome weekend. Um, my band that I travel with, we got to play at Joshua Fest, a huge Christian festival up in, uh, in Quincy. It was really cool. Uh, nothing is, you know, you can clap until you hear the music and you're going to be like, oh, no, no, no. A lot of yelling, a lot of moving, a lot more sweating than you see there. And um, yeah, we got to play. One of the weirdest parts was watching, you know, having David Crowder watch uh, you. And you're like, whoa. Like, and uh, when he gives you a backhanded compliment, that's even better. Like, y- you guys are something with a lot of energy. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to do with the music. Just the movement, <laughs> but I'll take it. But it was I, it was rough. I came back and, I, you know, you ever have those moments, guys? Those I call them mountaintop experiences, you know, where you get to go and you see, you experience God in an awesome way. It's going, wow, if I take a step back, God, you're so good. And then you come back to reality for a bit. And, you know, came I came here back on Monday and there were so many fires to put out with with friends and family and, and work and things like that. And then I, I don't know um, how many of you guys are excellent planners um, but I, 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 I like to think of myself as one. I juggle lots of things. I I have a lovely wife and a family that we have together. I have uh, this awesome job and this awesome ministry to do. I travel with my band. And then uh, on top of that, I still have time for a social life, which is amazing. And uh, I, could, I feel like I could juggle those things pretty well. But for some reason, I don't know what I was thinking when I was asked to speak. I said, yeah, I think I, I, I want to do it. And then I scheduled our ASM Boys Night, a 24-hour Straight boys night, which led to the reason why I'm wearing sandals, because we decided, hey, let's not just just sit around and and let's let's just do Bible studies and sing Kumbaya. We decided at some point that we had an inflatable jolly jump to just wrestle in it. And I was kind of like, I don't know, it's kind of hot, and uh, I don't move that much, not very swift, but I have the low center of gravity so I think I might fare well until someone said something along the lines of what are you scared of? Which what I heard was you won't. And then what I really felt like was that you need to do this for the glory of God. (laughs) So I got in there and needless to say someone I won't name names Joel ripped my toenail off and I have no toenail, and it won't stop bleeding. It's pretty uh, painful, and I'm not allowed to wear shoes, so it hurts. But my, my week was, it's rough, you know? And you know what's funny is, I look back literally a week ago today, I was in this Christian festival, thinking, wow, God, you're so good. But then I come the last night or the night before, and I ask, why God? <laughs> and it's crazy how quick a week can go. We're in this series called A Reason for Hope. Or I thought it was such an awesome thing that Carrie has done with our church that you, we had about three weeks ago you guys write on the back of Connection Cards questions that you had. And we have this scripture up here that it's based off of. John's going to pull that up there. And it was a scripture in First Peter about this reason for hope and why we're called to answer these questions. And um, one of the things that were really hard is reading these, these questions. And uh, at first reading them I thought, oh man, now I know why he asked me to speak. Then I realized that uh, a lot of the questions that were asked in this pile were questions that, at the heart of it, I've asked. But in First Peter chapter three verse fifteen, it says, "But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer." My favorite part about that verse, as we've been reading it, is I love almost like I love a, I love a good loophole, you know. And uh, I, I'm I'm the kind of guy that uh, with my parents, my parents would be the ones to say, as a teenager, I never ever lied. To my parents, I lied by omission. They never asked me that exact question. I just didn't tell them the truth. And I like how this one, always be prepared to give an answer. It doesn't say the right answer, but it says an answer. So bear with me. It's my loophole here today. No, but it says always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. That word hope has been just like a huge word in my life lately. Hope. But do this with gentleness and respect. So I was reading these cards, and uh, there were so many questions to go through. And uh, as I'm reading them, I'm sitting there, and my heart was really breaking. Not just because, obviously, some of the questions, you could see that there's hurt behind these questions. But the overall theme of all the questions and what we're going to tackle today that they can be lumped together in. And I want to make it clear, it's not to say that your question wasn't in, was invalid, um, it wasn't to say that it wasn't uh, correct, that it just, it just all the same answer, but ultimately it boiled down to the question of why does God let bad things happen to good people? And I know not only have I heard that question many times, but I've asked that question many times. There's so many bad things that happen that my first response is, why God? And I want to take some time to just share what I have experienced in this question and uh, some scriptures that have helped me out in these questions, hopefully in the questions that you've asked. I really encourage you. I really do. This This is why I do what I do here, and this is probably my favorite part of my job. You're not burdening nothing. If you had a question... Because there's a lot of people who didn't write names, and I get it. And it was along these lines, I would love more than anything to take you out to lunch or coffee or whatever and talk through these issues. Because they can really rob people of identities. And you have an identity in Jesus. Amen? So first, can we give credit where credit is due? Let's pray, church. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time that we have together. God, I just pray... That as we tackle this, this heavy, heavy question that at some point in some way we've all asked. Lord, that you speak and that your spirit leads and that, God, that you are, you're present. And that we just become more aware of that presence. And that we recognize that in our, our darkest circumstance, in the toughest of questions and all those things, that you were truly high above it all. I love what we have sung, God, those words so powerful. that that be our prayer for our week and when we have those questions. That, that the waters can roar, the mountains can fall, but you, God, will remain high above it all. The kingdoms can rage, nations may shake, but you, God, sit high above the drama, the pain, the, the tragedy. You're on the throne. So, God, we lift you up. who ask this in your blessed and holy name. Amen. This debatably has to be one of the toughest, toughest topics, and uh, I'm going to cut to the chase. Um, essentially, there's going to be these four kind of points that I, I want to make on to why uh, I make this point. Uh, another little plug here is um, the the Ravi Zacharias thing that we're going to be talking about that Carrie made an announcement of is a phenomenal thing to be a part of, and he actually tackles this question probably a thousand times better than I do, um, but this is something that's really helped me out. And... Uh, uh, I literally was going to share, me and Carrie were talking earlier. One of the things he said that's awesome is behind every question is a questioner. And we got to remember that the person asking um, has an identity, has feelings, has hurts, has a reason for that. The same reason why we have to respond for the reason for hope. They're asking for a response because they feel like they don't have hope. They feel hopeless. That's why we ask questions, is the confusion. But essentially... This is the the kind of answer here. I would answer the question when someone would ask me, why do bad things happen to good people? And instead, I would kind of challenge them. I would say, why would good things happen to anybody? It doesn't make sense to me. I know you think that doesn't make sense. What do you mean that we don't have good things in our lives? That God doesn't bless us? That's not what I'm saying. But I want to point out in this in, in these points, the first point being, how can you expect something of something that's incapable? So actually, I have a, one of these cool things that we love doing at ASM is we have this tradition that the first 15 minutes of our ASM gatherings are community, and that's just talking with the people you haven't seen in basically two days, but <laughs> it feels like an eternity. And... Uh, we, we do different things, and uh, we go through these fads, you know, in, in ASM, because these kids, they're just, next one week, it's this, next week, we're not about that. First week, it's like, oh my gosh, next week, it's ill, and we're like, I don't know, I can't keep up with it, you know. I remember one week, the kids, I don't know what happened, but there was a solid week where the kids were like, Crocs are cool. <laughs> then, I thought, I'm going to bust off the Crocs, I'm going to dust those suckers off and put those bed on, because those are great. My grandma used to wear them. She was a nurse, and I remember one time sliding them on, going, oh, so heaven on earth is real. You know, walk on clouds. I remember busting one of those out with my friends, and I was like, oh, what's that? Just a crock, you know, no big deal. And uh, I was not met with the same warm anticipation as the students were, and I was laughed at a lot. And they went... Why are you wearing those? I'm like, I don't know. Someone said, my great-grandma gardens in those. And I was like, well, your great-grandma has swag, so what's up, you know? (laughs) Then the next week, that was gone, and then uh, I I try to keep up with them. But one of the things they do is they have a fad of games. Uh, Before, what we used to do is uh, we used to hang out and then play different balloon games, and then it was uh, three flags up with football, and then there was a long period of of four-square. Four-square. We're bringing it old school. And then it turned into six-square which was intense, and now uh, we have a new fad, and that fad is called Can Jam, and it's a really cool game, it's a, it has to do with a trash can, and then a frisbee, and what you have to do is you have to try to make the frisbee into the trash can, and there's ways that you have a partner that helps you like swat your, your disc that maybe goes too far to the right or left, they so can try to get it in the can for you, and if you make it in the can at any point, you just win the game. And I can't tell you how many heroic, almost bottom of the ninth World Series moments these students have had, feeling as if they're on top of the world, like they're down 20 to seven, the next point for their team wins, and they go, I'm going to go for it, and it gets in the can, and they just like walk off, and then let's like go home and tell their parents that they won, they're going to Disneyland, you know? And so what I wanted to share today is, I'd like for you guys, that's one of my favorite things, I get to enjoy the fun of them, I'd like a volunteer who would like to help me with Can Jam. Anyone willing to volunteer? Marcus, would you like to volunteer? Give it up for Marcus, guys. All right. Marcus, how are you recovering from Boys Night? Pretty tired. I bet. All righty. Now, Marcus, you play Can Jam, correct? Yeah. Would you say you're good at it? No. I would agree. (laughs) Since uh, yesterday we played and we lost. That's fair. What percentage do you think, just for the people, not for me or anything, how much of the percentage was your fault? That's a lot. um. Okay. That's all I wanted to hear, nothing. All right, so you know the rules of Can Jam, right, Marcus? Just try to get in the bucket, right? Yeah. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to place the bucket about right where Ron's at here. There's no food in the trash can. (laughs) I'm watching you, Ron. Okay. Now I want you, I want you, Marcus, to get... The Frisbee in the trash can. Go. Frisbee's over there. No, you got to get it right right now. With the Frisbee you got, go ahead and do it. You missed. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I'll move it even closer. I'll move it even closer. I'll get you closer to the front here. Let's take some steps here. Let's bring it all the way up to Zach here. This is easy. This is nothing. Go ahead and make it. Now you missed again. Why are you not able to make it into the trash can? Because I can't visualize the Frisbee. Well, do you, where is the Frisbee? I thought it went in. Yeah, maybe not. I felt pretty confident. So in the same sense, when we say, why do good, well, bad things happen to good people? And I say, why do good things happen to anybody? We live in a fallen world. It's broken. It's sinful. Any any piece of good that you've ever seen in your life is evidence that there is a God. Because if we come into the game and there's not even a Frisbee to play, what's the point? You'll never make it in. In order to even have a chance at winning, you would actually need to get the Frisbee in hand and place it over to Marcus. Marcus, this is real close. pressure's on, man. I'll tell you what, dude grace abounds <laughs> <laughs> now try to make it in there you go you win can give it up for marcus guys thank you so much I feel proud. You proud? Yeah. how do we expect in any situation that we could even have anything good if we don't even have the frisbee without god the game's over So when I ask, when people ask me, why do the bad things happen to these good people? The first thing is, why would anything good happen? Think about it. We selfishly sin. Our selfishness and our pride breaks the bond with God. And he constantly chases after us, constantly giving us chance after chance after chance, constantly placing the frisbee in our hand when we've kind of thrown the game away and said, I don't want to play, I just want to say I won and and just not do anything. And sometimes we'll even sit there and throw an imaginary frisbee and go, I don't get why it's not going in. Well, there's not there. And it's hard to hear because we think it doesn't make any sense. So the first thing is that the world is terrible. And if we're real honest with ourselves, we're terrible. I know that's really taboo, but I mean, I'll be the first to tell you, I'm a bad person. I may act as much as I can like Christ, but I also recognize in my heart, maybe not acted out, but even like Scripture says, once I've thought these things and felt them in my heart, I've already sinned. But I can't tell you how many times I manipulate my way out of things, or if I I desire something, rather than actually speaking it in, in truth and in love to someone saying, I really would love to do this, I try to make suggestions. One of my favorite forms of this too is uh, I've actually seen it perfected is with some of my friends I don't mean to call them out but my my friend Andrew is really good at this Um, he did this yesterday to Levi which by the way that was kind of funny I bought in Levi an ice cream to share with me at boys night and Andrew does this awesome way of instead of saying let me have a bite he says whoa what is that thing as if ice cream never existed I'm like, it's ice cream. What's that uh, that colored stuff in it? It's berries. It's a Sam's Club ice cream. You've never had one of these? No. What's it taste like? And then I try to catch a bit and go, what do you think it tastes like? I don't, I can't even imagine. <laughs> and they'll <laughs> say, what, what do you mean? He's like, I don't know, man. I'm like, it tastes like berries and, and ice cream. Yeah, man, that's just not really doing it for me. I can't really imagine that. I think I'm just going to have to try it. I'm like, you're not trying this ice cream. And then I walk away and I see him talking to Levi. Next thing I see is Levi handing the whole ice cream to Andrew. And he's eating it. He just looks at me and he goes, it's exactly how you described it, dude. (laughs) We do that. We laugh at it. But again, we think about, like, we know our heart's intent. We want something, and we take it. We'll say what we need to, and we do it. The world is terrible. We're terrible. And then we're the ones asking the perfect God, why did you let something bad happen to this place? What do you mean? The next thing that I want to point out is that God is incapable of evil. So we say, why does God let this happen, or why does God do this to me? God is only capable of good. And before that, we, it goes back to that the world is a terrible place, and then why bad things happen is because the world does it, not God. If you guys have your Bibles, in John chapter 15, verse 18, Jesus speaks out about this perfectly. You know, we always ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? And then the, the second half of that is, why do good things happen to bad people? We see bad people all the time who who are convicted of crimes get away scot-free. We see people who lie their way through things and they continue to f- climb this successful chain and social stature and they just keep, to, keep coming and uh, people keep helping them out and it, it frustrates us because we go, I'm honest, at least the best I can be. I'm working to try to be like God, but these people can lie their way past me. It's frustrating. In John chapter 15... It says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me way before it hated you. And the only reason the world hates you is because you're of me. You belong to me. And it really really shows. You, You guys can see the one people that we see that are just so of the world, they just become celebrities. Anyone that just says the right words, sides with the right things, it works. It's almost more apparent sometimes with students. You know, sometimes if I'm really just trying to... People say, like, how are you able to connect with so many students? They're kind of easy now nowadays, especially ones of the world. I just walk up and I'm like, hey, what's going on? Netflix, Justin Bieber, and Nicki Minaj. And they're like, he's cool! And I'm like, yeah, tattoo, tattoo, adult, kinda, beard. And then they're like, he gets me. And I'm like, I gotta go tweet about a Snapchat. And they're like, which is at this point. <laughs> and, and when you're of the world, it's just so easy to say the right things and get there. But when you're of God, truth abounds. I love in scripture, it says, as deep calls deep, you know? And I love that because you have that connection with people and you go, man, they get me on a deeper level than the surface things that I like. That's why the world hates us because we. We don't live two-dimensionally, as I like to call it. I have my best friend, Ozzy. We we always have this conversation of sometimes when things are going wrong, we think, is this a two-dimensional problem or is this a three-dimensional problem? And we mean that in the sense of like, is this just a surface-level flat thing that is actually going to affect us? Or is this actually a three-dimensional thing? There's a greater purpose to it, that God has a greater plan in it, and are we not seeing that? But God being incapable of evil as well, is a huge, huge part. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it says, and we know that for those who love God and that all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So the world's terrible. We're terrible. That God is incapable of evil. But now that doesn't really help us understand things that were done to us. And the only way I can best describe this is that You know, I am a uh, 26, soon to be 27-year-old man. We'll say man because I wear socks or wear sandals with jeans. So uh, in my 27 years of life, uh, I feel that there's so many natural responses and knee-jerk emotional reactions and personality traits that I should not have. Because of wrongs done to me. I constantly argue and start fights um, with my wife out of the fear that she's going to leave me. If I'm being honest, because everyone leaves, in my mind. Growing up as a kid, you know, my, my mom was gone one day and then didn't see her for a while. And months after, my dad dropped me off somewhere. And then I had this, this stigma growing up that, okay, maybe, maybe I did something wrong. And then when I lived with my grandma and grandfather, my grandfather was very frustrated at having this kind of huge responsibility placed on him. And so he left. And it was just me and my grandma for a while. And uh, then my grandma and her mother, my great-grandma. And then about seven months later, her mother died of cancer. And I just kept thinking, people leave just me breathing and existing is causing this? Why God, you know? You go down the list, and I know that there's people in here that have been there, and I've definitely been there, of the, of the abuse, physical, the verbal, the abandonment, the choices that people make that inflict upon you, and you constantly look yourself in the mirror and ask, why? Why me? Is it something about my face? Is it something about the way I talk? Is it something the way I did? You try to validate and bring logic to something, and then when you finally come to know God, who restores hope and heals the broken, you're left with this huge question mark of, so what about all that stuff? Especially when we read in scripture here that says, we know that those who love God, which would be me, have all things worked together for good. I don't know about you guys, even to this day, any interaction with my biological father never goes good. It's literally a 50-50 coin flip every time I probably go to my parents' house, whether they're mad at me or not. And you probably have those same feelings. Some days may be great, and then other days you don't want to get out of bed because of things done to you, and you go, I don't understand that. Explain that, Joseph. None of this was my choice. People just did things to me, and now I'm here stuck with the consequence. In the same line of that question, behind every question as a questionnaire, behind every hurt that was done to us is a hurt person. It was so hard for me to become an adult, and I kept holding on to grudges and holding on to pain of what people did. And it really opened my eyes to start to see the hurt of my own family. I went through high school not being able to forgive my mom and holding this ridiculous grudge as she relentlessly tried and tried to provide for me. But it was like there was never enough. And sometimes we do that to people. Once It's, it's not a three-strike world. It's like one strike, you're out, game's over, you're banned from the league. And that's not God. But it doesn't really answer why. The, the, the hardest thing that I've come to know is in my life, that hurt that was caused to me is what it would take for me to know him. Because you see, when you're fatherless, heavenly father sounds so great. When you feel like nobody cares that you're alive on the day you were born, it feels good to know that he gives you a church family or a community or just the relationship with him to feel like you matter. And I would have never known that unless those things happened. I think back in the story of the rich young ruler who says he had everything. And he says, I follow all the commands. I do all the right things, God. And he even feels incomplete. So what must I do to enter into God's kingdom? And he says, you haven't done one thing. Give up everything. And it says, well, he had so much and he just leaves. And and we talked about this even in youth recently that Jesus speaks about how hard it is for the rich to get in heaven, not because they're rich, but because they don't see a need. They don't see that they need saving. And if you don't feel like you need saving, what's the point of a savior? And that's a huge part in my life is the pain that I felt has helped me understand my need for a God. To know him deeper. And I think back, if I never experienced these hurts, I wouldn't know God to the degree that I know him. And not just in the sense of his characteristics and who he's about. Because anyone can pick up a Bible and, and can go on a YouTube and watch debate after debate. Uh, they can take courses and stuff like that. But to know God intimately in a relationship way that goes, I know a God who's there for me when people aren't. Even the people who are supposed to be. That is transformative. That's transformative. That's three-dimensional. So we have the world being terrible, God being incapable of evil, and that this it would take to know him. The last thing that I have is the redeeming of our past. That scripture always, always sat sour with me before I kind of really worked through it. The thing that really sat with me weird was, okay, he says all things, and God's outside of time. So that means my future is sealed with him in eternity. Presently, there's work to be done, but I can't change what was done to me. And if I'm honest with you guys, there's bad days where I think I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing. I shouldn't be in the position I'm in. People shouldn't love me for what was done to me or things that I've done. And it's hard to see how God can redeem a past. One of my favorite scriptures we talked about actually at summer camp was in John chapter 9, and verse 1 through 41. It says, as he passes by, he saw a man blind from birth, something he couldn't help. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned that this man or his parents... That he was born blind. Something he couldn't help, something that was done to him. And they are looking for blame within these people. And Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming. When no one can work, and as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. That brings so much peace to my soul. That the things that you've had happen in your past are not blemishes, but displays of God working. There's no need for finger pointing anymore other than vulnerability and extension to let God work and to share that. And I love that scripture about after that night is coming. We look at our world today and it needs a savior more than ever. Amen. And here we are in him saying, I'm the light of the world as long as I'm in it. And we know, as it says in scripture in Corinthians, that we know where the spirit of the Lord is. And he dwells with those who believe in him. And in that dwelling also dwells freedom. And in the oppressed, fear-driven, sin-slave world, they need freedom. Amen. And the fact that God can redeem our past by saying we can relate with these people because the the hurt has been done with us, we can display it as a work of God rather than a finger pointing contest or as an excuse and say, You don't have to live in fear. You don't have to live in excuse. You don't have to live, in the words I like to say, You don't have to survive in this world. God died so that we can thrive. I loved a couple of weeks ago when Greg England talked about thin places, those thin margins between here and heaven. And I thought about my life after I heard him speak, I was driving home, I was just trying to count my thin places. I remember thinking one of the thinnest places was the day I married my wife. I was 21 years old and the most money I've ever had in my bank account was $200 <laughs> at one time. And that was usually after bills came out and stuff. But to be 21 and save enough money and eat enough ramen to stand across from somebody who knows all my flaws, who knows how much things hurt me, and to still say, yeah, I do. With him and all his garbage. And as my mom used to say, you know, we, we gave advice to each other. Her, her parents gave advice to me and mine gave to her and... Uh, it was funny because I thought mine was hilarious Her, my advice was learn a different way to say the word no cause she doesn't like that word and I thought like that's funny my mom told me to say something like hey Joe's determined and all my mom told my wife was I'll pray for you because you have to deal with all that BS <laughs> it wasn't even advice I was like oh man and it's true because sometimes I still manifest these hurts and my wife has to deal with them but I think of that thin place you know and I think well God's redeeming my past because so many times I saw failed marriage after failed marriage in my family and I thought, there's no hope for me. I have no idea what it looks like. And then I get to stand here with my best friend and see them every day and they accept me for me with all my hurts and all my pains. What a thin place God's redeeming. I think about when I was a, became a Christian in high school, the first thing my mom told me was to get out and that I was better than her and I didn't, she didn't want me in her house. And I can't tell you over the years how many times my wife and I have housed students whose parents just didn't want them anymore. And then to hear those kids go off and do missions trips and to hear those kids get into ministry, to see those kids go to college, we're like the blessing that now we're kind of getting that old. We're that old of a youth couple. Well, now 27's is not old to you guys, but 27 in youth years is basically 50. And so we're seeing them get married. Kids who've been abused in so many ways, physically, inappropriately, who can understand what true love is. What a thin place. That is not redemption. I don't know what is. But also, I just love this here. Romans 5, chapter or verse 3 through 5. It says, more than this, we rejoice in our sufferings. What? I want to read it again. More than this, we rejoice in our sufferings because why? Knowing that suffering produces endurance. If you're suffered and you're here, that's half the battle. The other half is staying here, fighting the good fight. We have an endurance. And in that endurance, it says that endurance produces Character. The question is, do we let it produce the wrong character or the right character that displays God's work? And then it says that character produces hope. The reason for this hope, the reason for the suffering is the same reason for hope. It is needed so that others can come to know God in a deeper way. And it says that hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Friends, I can't tell you the first time it clicked to me how much joy I felt. It was almost like the first time I encountered Jesus in a real way. And that was when I remember sitting across from a young student and his name was Austin and I remember sitting across from Austin as he poured out his life story, and, and I remember in a bizarre way, he had so much hurt and so much questions, so much anger, so much depression, so much sadness, so much hate for himself. So much so that as he was talking and I would try to cut him off to speak and the emotions were just too strong that at one point I did what my mother always does when she's angry. She starts just naming off children and dogs' names when she's trying to call your name. I was uh, Joseph Austin. I said my own name. Because so much of his hurt was exactly what I'd went through. And he says, what do you know about this? Everyone I sit down with, my mom makes me sit down with, they don't get it. And I remember just saying, man, that sucks. And for some reason, that broke his heart. He said, I felt like so much with people trying to fix me, and no one understood. I said, dude, that's what I said. What had happened to me is why. This sucks. And then I just told him how I lived my life after that, how God was displayed in my life. It changed his life. Austin was was adopted and was assaulted by his adopted father. I went to jail for it. Before I left that ministry, Austin was able to go visit his father in jail and say, I love you and I forgive you. And he still works with hurts every day, but every time I see that kid and every time I see him, even in his mistakes, I think God is redeeming. And then I also think about I'll never, ever have that conversation and get to see God's work in other people's lives if I don't understand that that thing was allowed to happen. God didn't do it. He allowed it to happen in a terrible world so that he could have a closer relationship with me and I could depend on him more and also understand him more and then in so cross paths with this person that I could speak truth into their life and just relate with them and then just say, you're not alone and just be a small example, a can jam example of who Jesus is in my life. And to see that that may stray someone from walking the same hurts as me, that is redemption, that is future, present, and past that 's the hope of the world, and it frees me so much is why I do what I do now. If I could do that for one person, what's me you for doing from hundreds of people and if you need a reason for hope today that there's people that you may have at your work and your families that you just walk by, have a conversation with it at any old place and you may be the only representation of Jesus that they ever see in their life the only image of true hope never failing hope amazing scandalous grace love that is so deep that they couldn't even fathom it that if they, if they were offered that from any person they would foam at the mouth and give everything they have but it's offered for free and we hide it because of hurts. The fears of what are going to happen. Fear is the greatest. The greatest tool that the enemy uses. Because it stops us from doing things. Especially the fear of failing. And the fear of, of what could happen to us. Out of that hurt. When reality it's the greatest educator. I wear the emotional. And, and even physical scars. That were done to me. As a reminder of. I have a great understanding and education of what this world has to offer, and it's not good. But in my heart, I know I was offered grace, and I'm so thankful that I wake up every day and I get to accept it. I want to pray for us, and as we close out, I want us to take the time to to sing that last song again, that there's victory in God's presence and his peace. And if we proclaim that victory with our with our mouths, it is there. There's something about speaking it out, understanding it, saying it out loud that helps us to bring this great understanding, that thin place, that redemption of it all. To know even in our weakest moments, God was high above it all. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this time that we have together. God, I just pray that uh, as we worship you today, that God, that the hurt would seek you. God, I just pray that that you would meet them where they're at. God, I just, I pray for this this interceding, Lord. God, I pray that we see you high above our circumstance and our pain. So Lord, we love you. We praise you. We ask this in your blessed and holy name. Amen. Would you stand with us?